Moms. We're two modern mamas with a goal to inspire empowerment, self-love, deep physical and spiritual nourishment, holistic health, and joy, no matter your journey, gender, or perspective. I'm Laura of Radical Roots. I'm a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, and mama to Evie Wilder. And I'm Jess of Hold the Space Wellness. I'm a level one CrossFit trainer, a licensed and certified athletic trainer with a master's in kinesiology and mama to Baron Camille. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We're so happy you're here. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Mamas podcast. I am especially excited this week because our guest is someone that has kind of changed my world in a roundabout way when it comes to enjoying a glass of wine, which if you follow me on Instagram, you know that I am a big believer in the joy that comes with a delicious glass of especially dry wine. And so I today have a guest on our podcast named Todd White. And Todd is the CEO of Dry Farm Wine. And as I mentioned, if you've been following, you know that I sip a lot of Dry Farm Wine almost exclusively, um, or I look for qualities in wine based on things that I've learned from drinking Dry Farm Wine. So I'm so excited to have Todd on today, selfishly to pick his brain, but also because I get so many questions from you guys, the listeners, about the quality of the wine, why I drink it almost exclusively, why I'm okay with sipping on it while I'm still nursing Evie, etc. So, Without further ado, let's introduce Todd. He is this. I love this. This is the bio that I pulled from the website that I just think is so perfect and uh, short and sweet and to the point. So Todd is a fanatical biohacker. He wears the same uniform every day. He starts every morning with 40 minutes of meditation. And we're going to dive into that in a moment. But first, a bit more about dry farm wine. Um, And let's dive into that. So the wonderful people at Dry Farm Wine search the world for the finest natural, sustainable, and biodynamic wines. The family farms and artisans that handcraft these wines are deeply committed to these farming and winemaking practices. You can taste it in every soulful bottle of wine they collect. And I can uh, attest to this personally. The authentic wines that Dry Farm Wines procures are exceptionally interesting and compelling expressions of taste and pleasure. When a wine is alive and free from overreaching modern influence, the wine will whisper in nature's perfect logic and design. The wine will express nature joyfully and perfectly. And I just love that. I pulled that from the site. Um, It spoke to me, which is why I got involved from the beginning. And I'm just super excited to dive more deeply into what makes the Dry Farm Wines unique and special and one of a kind and paleo and ketogenic and all the things. Um, So without further ado, Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show today and giving us some of your time. Awesome. That was quite an introduction, Laura. I'm happy to be here and share Lots about wine, some of the dirty, dark secrets of the wine industry and what's happening in modern wine and how to pick healthy wines to drink. I love it. That that, that in in a nutshell, kind of sums up about three or four of the questions that came in from listeners. So I'm super excited to dive in. And I kind of want to just read this list because um, we have – there's a list on your site and a list that comes with every box that comes to my door. um, And it talks about what makes you guys stand apart. And so um, the Dry Farm Wines all share natural farming and traditional winemaking practices, including natural, sustainable, or biodynamic um, viticulture, dry farming, which means no use of irrigation, old growth vines, generally 30 35 to 100 years old, hand harvested fruit from low yields, minimal intervention in the, in the uh, vinification and aging, wild native yeast, 
in fermentation, no commercial yeast for flavor alteration, no or minimal filtering or fining, no or minimal use of oak, no or minimal addition of SO2 or sulfites, no, um, I don't know what this one is, you're going to have to tell me a little bit, but no uh, capitalization, which is, oh, adding sugar to the grape uh, must during fermentation, and then no chemical additives for aroma, color, flavor, or texture enhancement, which when I first read that list, it blew my mind because I can't believe that the opposite of all of that is going on so prevalently in the wine that we're, that is sold and enjoyed in this country. It blows my mind. Yeah, it's so most people have no idea what's mm-hmm. happening in the wine business and what has happened in the wine that they're consuming. One huge issue, big, big problem, at least for people who eat the way we eat and probably your audience. So anything I put in my body, which mainly is natural whole, clean, real food, but if it's anything that has had any processing at all, I immediately look on the ingredients label to see what's in the box, Mm -hmm. right? Well, you can't do that on a bottle of wine. Wine is the only major food group without a contents label, and there's a reason for that. So the wine industry has spent tens of millions of dollars in lobby money paying politicians to keep labeling off of wine, so no contents and no nutritional label. The reason they do that is because they don't want you to know what's really in it, because here's what's happened in the wine business. Much the same thing that's happened in our food supply has happened in the wine business. So wines now, or most wines made in the United States, are made by just a handful of characters, so 52% of all the wines m- manufactured in the United States are made by just three giant conglomerates. And the top 30 wine companies make over 70% of the U.S. wines. So the problem with that is that, that these wines, they're sold to you, they, these multi-billion dollar slick marketing manufacturing organizations, these wine companies, hide behind thousands of bottles of thousands of brands and labels Mm. to have you believe you're drinking from a farmhouse when in fact you're drinking from a massive factory likely located in central California where most of them are where most of them are located Mm. so these these additives and what's happening in wine is very unhealthy and this is uh, this affects nearly every wine that you'll see in the store wine shop, grocery store. These are all what we refer to as commercial wines. There are only a few hundred winemakers in the world who actually make the wines you just described, which are called natural wines. And natural wines are available, but they're very difficult to find. We're the largest buyer of natural wines in the world, and you can only find natural wines in a handful of major markets. A few places in New York, San Francisco, Chicago, LA. Uh, But Outside of that, and I mean very few, in uh, in San Francisco, which is a which is near where we live, mm-hmm. and arguably the leading culinary market in, in in perhaps the United States, has one natural wine retailer in a shop that's about six or seven hundred square feet. Right, yeah. so it's very difficult to find. You can occasionally find them on a farm to table restaurant list. If the buyer is really, really savvy, but they won't be noted as natural wines, you would have to know that, mm-hmm. right? So anyway, we can talk more about that. But, but, but what's happening, what your audience doesn't know, what's been a very well-kept secret, the dirty, 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 dark secret of the wine industry, and it's been very effectively kept until I have, have exposed it on hundreds of podcasts to millions of people, but there's 76 
additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. Now, everything I'm going to tell your audience, everything I'm telling you today about these additives, about wine industry size and what's happening in winemaking, this is all easily, easily searched on Google. If you want to see the list of additives, there's 76 and pretty nasty chemicals. There, you just do a Google search for FDA wine additives, and it'll go right to the FDA link that shows you the additives that are approved. Nobody knows that because it's a big secret. Mm -hmm. And because they've been successful in keeping contents labeling off of wine bottles, you don't know anything about what's in it. But I'll tell you this. If a wine bottle had a contents label on it, it would look exactly exactly like other processed food labels. It would be a bunch of chemical names. You have no idea what it is including dyes and body stabilizers, defoaming agents, all kinds wow. of crazy stuff that's in wine. And this is this there are many reasons why people are having trouble drinking wine and particularly women mm-hmm. uh, have difficulty drinking particularly red wine and uh, they believe they've been misled to believe that it's sulfites. That's not true for most people. Uh, less than 1% of the population actually has a sulfite allergy. Uh, but most people report, most women particularly report, that they feel better drinking white wine than red wine. But actually, white wine contains more sulfites than red. Sulfites are naturally occurring in the fermentation process. What, what we look for and what we're concerned about is added sulfur dioxide, which increases the overall sulfite profile. Mm-hmm. But so, so you've got, you know, let me just go down the list real quickly of a few things that you mentioned that are really important. So one, we believe that nature and grape growing has been working together for about 10,000 years and probably has it pretty figured out, right? So the first intervention into nature's logic in grape growing is irrigation, Right. Mm -hmm. And so irrigation is completely unnecessary. And the only reason you irrigate in America is the primary place where irrigation is practiced. And in fact, in most of Europe, it's illegal to irrigate a grapevine because Europeans know what we know is that irrigation fundamentally changes the physiology of how the plant ripens fruit, how the plant feeds its fruit. See, the plant's not trying to make wine. The plant is trying to make the very best delicious grape it can make so the bird will choose its grapes to propagate right and so when we when we intervene in this in in the process of 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 natural growing that's when we intervene in the quality of the fruit which is the reason as i mentioned it's illegal to irrigate in a crime it's 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 an actual crime to irrigate a grapevine in most of europe the reason you irrigate is because irrigation and liquid nitrogen, which is the chemical fertilizer, irrigation, along with its friend nitrogen, produce higher yields on the, on the vine and fruit that weighs more because the berries are filled with water. Now, this is about money and greed. The only reason you irrigate a grapevine is to get more fruit that weighs more. This fruit is sold by the ton. So this is why this is why we have irrigation. Irrigation also, I might add, leads to lazy farming. So it's a little bit, you know, it's easier to farm an irrigated grapevine. So these this, these are the reasons why irrigation is practiced, and is practiced in more than ninety nine percent of all U.S. vineyards. 
I might add to that note that Dry Farm Wines, that we don't sell or drink any U.S. wines. Uh, there's no wines made in the United States. Unfortunately, we wish there were, but there are no wines made in the United States that meet all of our health criteria. Wow. Have you been to, so I just went to, I guess I'm shouting out a, a vineyard here, but I just went to um, Tres Sabores in Napa. Sure. Or sure. Helena, um, and they mentioned a few of the things you've mentioned, but they still don't meet all of. I guess they don't meet every single thing on that list. They don't. They're one of the very few, as I said, less than less than one percent of U.S. vineyards, and it's about three percent in the Napa Valley are organic. Okay. Right. Less than one percent are dry farmed. Yeah. Um, but here's the problem. Well, there there are a couple of challenges with the winery that you mentioned, which is about 10 minutes from my house. Mm-hmm. Um, one is their alcohol levels are too high for us. We oh, didn't talk about this yet. Right. We'll get to there. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> and, um, that's, that's probably going to be the primary issue. And the mm-hmm. second issue is going to be, I think they're dry farmed and I think they, said they were. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, and I sought them out because that now that I've drank your wines and I like the difference to me is unbelievable. The flavor, the, um, the way that I feel during and after everything about it, it's a whole different experience. So now we love going to Napa and eating the food and drinking the wine. And so now I'm so proactive, like months in advance of searching out the wineries that we want to go to. Um, and so that's the one that seemed to me to be one of the very, very few that's even close. <laughs> yeah. I, I, um, there, there's another one in Napa Valley. It's called Frog's Leap Winery. Mm-hmm. They <laughs> also are dry farmed and also uh, organic. Um, the problem with both of them, from our perspective, is um, is the price of the wine. Yeah. So the wine's much more expensive than what we sell from Europe, uh, two or three times the cost. And uh, and second of all, the alcohol levels are simply higher, and as a result. Uh, the winemaking style is just different. So even though it's dry farmed and organic, it's still seeing a lot of oak. Mm. We don't use we use we don't allow the use of uh, we'll call it virtually none. Uh, there's occasionally a wine that has a little bit of oak in it, but but all, I would say ninety five plus percent of our wines see zero oak. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the think, reason for that? Is there what's the, well, what's the reason behind uh, no oak? There's a couple. There's two different reasons. One, there's concern that that excessive oak exposure uh, creates methanol, which is toxic in the wine. Um, and and number two, uh, it's just a winemaking style. So it's just a heavy extracted, you know, aged wine style that we don't think is friendly with food, and uh, consequently also typically has higher alcohol levels. Both of the both the wineries that I mentioned, and I'm very good friends with one of them. Um, I don't know the Trace of Bors people, but but I'm you know very good friends with the, with the, with the people of Frog Sleep have been for 15 years. The, the 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 problem is the alcohol levels as well. So we don't sell or drink anything over 12 and a half percent. Most of the wines in California are 14, 14 and a half, 15 up to 17 percent alcohol. Alcohol has been ri- rising year over year. In uh, domestic wines, uh, well, globally, but particularly domestic wines over the last 20 years or so. So 20 years ago, 30 years ago, all wines, uh, all American wines were in the 12 to 12.5% range. Now they've creeped up to 15%. So 
there's a, several reasons for that. One is irrigation. So irrigation leads to higher alcohol levels, and I'll tell you why why that's true in a moment. But also the industry drives it. So you know, alcohol is addictive, and alcohol is a slippery slope. Uh, the more you drink, the more you want to drink, mm-hmm. right? And so lower the inhibitions. <laughs> lower inhibitions. It's just a slippery slope. And so you know, the industry wants to see alcohol levels go up. The yeah. other reason alcohol levels have gone up is because the consumer wants it. Not because the consumer necessarily wants to get drunker quicker. That might not be the necessary goal for a 40-year-old mother. Mm-hmm. But, however, that being said, what higher alcohol levels do do is that they help to break through the dead American palate that has been killed off with excess sugar and other processed foods and unhealthy fats. And so the dead American palate, unlike your palate and mine, and probably most of your listeners, Mm -hmm. so I eat very clean and fresh and healthy fats, and I'm sugar-free, right? So your palate will recover, you know, after a period of a couple of months, your palate will start to have recovery and start to taste things, like things will start to taste more vivid. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm in the midst of that right now. December 26th, I was done with sugar period. I haven't had it since except for maybe a tiny bit and like super like 85 and above dark chocolate. And I, my palate, like the way food tastes is incredible. Everything is just, my whole world has improved from doing that. <laughs> well, so higher, higher alcohol in these big extracted wines yeah. that are commonly sold commercially and, and, uh, and, and are enhanced with additives. The, the other problem with the additives is it, it's impossible to make natural wine in appreciable quantities without the use of, of these additives and, and, uh, and processes because it's just too risky for the winemaker. Natural wines are not really made. Natural wines are grown because there's nothing in the bottle but fermented grape juice, right? And so there's no additions or corrections. There's no, there's no additives to adjust faults in the wine, Right, so you can't make it in large quantities. So all the all the wines, all the wines that are grown for us are produced by very very small family farms. Uh, typically, everybody in the family works on the farm. Most often, they eat only what they produce on the farm. These are hippie activists who nice. really care. Yeah, who really <laughs> care about the earth and care about what they put in their body, and they make the wines that they want to drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you ask a natural winemaker why they make that wine, is they almost always tell you because that's what I like to drink. Right. Right. And so, and and as you've talked about, we need to cover a lot, but you know, you feel completely different, not only in the process of drinking and the quality of the buzz and the cleanliness of it, but it also tastes better with food. Mm-hmm. But see, alcohol, alcohol is not food friendly. You wouldn't sit down with a glass of vodka and have a steak. I mean, a glass of vodka and have a salad. No. You know, alcohol and food don't pair together. Now, wine and food sometimes do pair together. But here's 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 the rub on that. The higher the alcohol, the less likely it is to pair well because alcohol is just not friendly with food. Now, you get a low alcohol wine, and you know this to be true from drinking our wines, and they just pair beautifully, including many of the reds just, just drink beautifully with fish, right? Yeah. I mean, because they're so light, clean, and fresh. And so they don't they don't they don't cover the flavor of the food up. They work alongside. Whereas, you know, when you're drinking 
uh, commercial wines and big California wines, you know, they tend to dominate the food as opposed to complementing it. You know, unless you're eating lamb or beef or elk or something like that. So, you know, if you really want to have a food and wine experience, do yourself a favor and find low alcohol wines, whether they're naturally made or not. Right. Even lowering down the alcohol will make them much friendlier to food and much friendlier to your brain. Right. And I love having a glass with like each course. And if I did that with regular wine, I would be uh, hammered. Yes. <laughs> well, not only that, but you feel bad too. Oh, yeah. No, and by the last, by the last course, I wouldn't be able to taste the food. No, 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 no. Of course not. But, but here's the thing I think is really, really important. I try to always cover this in podcasts, which is alcohol – is a very, very dangerous neurotoxin. Now, drinking moderate, uh, very moderate amounts of alcohol, we know is, we know it is healthy. And, and, and in fact, people who drink moderate amounts of alcohol have a lower mortality rate. Those who drink excessive amounts of alcohol have a higher mortality rate, and particularly true for women and cancer. And so it's really important if you care about your health, not only what you're putting in your body in terms of, of natural, real, clean, whole foods, but if you're going to drink alcohol, low alcohol wines are your best choice. Beer is out the window for a whole bunch of different reasons, and spirits are just too high in alcohol in my view. So, you know, pursuing, again, whether the wines naturally are made or not, take note of the alcohol that's in the bottle. And it makes a real big difference in both taste but more importantly, it makes a big difference also in your brain health. Yep. It's so awesome and so true. And I think it's just something that we don't hear enough about. People think it's got to be so black or white, like you either don't drink or you do drink. All alcohol is bad um, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But the reality is that it just like with food, um, just like all fats are not created equal, you have vegetable oils and processed fats and trans fats, and then you have really deeply nourishing fats from high quality animals and, and et cetera. And so um, similarly, I would imagine there's certain types of alcohol and wine that can actually not just be better for you, but or less harmful, but actually good for you in the right quantities. Well, wine has, uh, look, wine has many benefits. Wine has been a part of human culture and art and music, politics and religion for, you know, nearly 9,000 years, right? And and wine has many, many wonderful attributes. And we'll talk about those. Uh, from a health perspective, uh, most importantly, it helps generate love. And the more love yes. you have in your life, the healthier you're going to be. That's mm-hmm. number one. But number two I want to talk more about that in a moment. But number two is that in red wines, there are over 800 polyphenols and antioxidants. The most famous one most of your audience has probably heard of is called resveratrol. Mm -hmm. In white wines, there are a little over 200 polyphenols, which is the reason red wine is normally the wine recommended for health purposes is because of the polyphenols and how that happens for those who don't know how wine is made. Red wine gets its color from contact with the skin. White wines don't have contact with the skin usually. Let's just say that's 99% of the time. There are some white, there are some skin contact whites made, but they're super rare. So generally speaking, white wines are made from free-run juice, and red wines are made when the juice is put into a tank 
with the skins left over from the pressing of the grapes. So if you squeeze the juice from a red wine grape and you squeeze the juice from a white wine grape, they are both clear. So red wine gets its color from contact from the skin. That's also where it gets its additional polyphenols or from seed and skin contact. That's the reason red wines are much higher in beneficial antioxidants than white wines. So um, I guess in talking about the winemaking process, I want to cover the the most common question that we get, Mm -hmm. which is how are your wines sugar-free? Isn't there sugar in grape juice? That's the most common question we get as we travel across the country, educating people about how to drink healthy wines. Yes, that's true. So grape juice is teeming with sugar, right? It's very sweet. And how it becomes sugar-free is how wine is made. So the yeast, so in commercial wines, inoculate the juice with a commercial yeast. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But natural wines are fermented with native yeast that is wild and indigenous to the vineyard where the grape is grown. And all grapes, no matter where they're grown, have indigenous yeast on the skin. I'll talk about that in a moment because it's really important. But in natural winemaking, the juice comes in contact with the skins and the tank, and a spontaneous fermentation happens uh, from the native yeast that are on the skin of the grape. And that's how natural wines are made. And what happens is that the yeast eats the sugar, and once it eats all available sugar, the yeast will die and become what is known as lees. But once all the sugar is eaten by the yeast, the yeast die, and the sugar the, and the wine is fully fermented and consequently will be sugar-free. But not all wines are allowed to fully ferment. And this is particularly true of commercial wines. So here's how a commercial wine is made. Commercial winemakers can't and don't want to work with the native wild yeast. So commercial winemakers, the very first thing they do is that they pour sulfur dioxide into the juice to kill any present native yeast. And then they inoculate the wine, or not wine, they inoculate the grape juice with a genetically modified commercial yeast. And this is the reason they do that is because the native yeast, like many things in nature, the native yeast are temperamental and difficult to work with, particularly in any quantities. They're difficult to work with and require a lot of attention in the fermentation process. These commercial yeasts that are made in labs are very sturdy and hardy, and they've also been modified to express certain flavor profiles. So let's just say you're a commercial winemaker and you want to make a a very common wine, as a, a very common taste profile would be, Uh, I want to have a Mediterranean, a Mediterranean taste. And so you can buy yeast that has, that is designed to impart these flavor profiles into the fermentation process. So that's, that's why commercial yeast are used. Now we don't know, we don't know from a health perspective, there's no lab testing. We don't have any idea what these commercial genetically modified yeast are doing to our health. And as well as we don't really know, I can't tell you, there's so many cofactors to the wines that we lab test and sell. And I'll talk about lab testing in a moment. There are so many cofactors 
from irrigation to organic farming to native yeast fermentation to no additives to lower alcohol. There's so many cofactors. We don't really know which one of them or which or what combination of them make you feel so much better. Mm. We just know that when you drink these wines that we sell, you feel a lot better, right? right. And um, I, would, I can test that that is the case for me. That's 100%. My husband actually, I, he thought he had an uh, uh, alcohol allergy for a long time, but now we can share. A, and if we, if we in the past had shared a bottle of wine, he would have felt terrible. We can share a bottle of Dry Farm and he feels great. Yeah. So it's, it's and talking about sharing a bottle with your husband, I mean, the, one of the most magical things about wine, that poetry, that love in the bottle that is so beautiful when you're drinking you know, a whole natural, elegant, delicious, clean product, and again, particularly low alcohol, um, you, is 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 this experience of wine, right? So over the dinner table, maybe it's a date night, maybe it's with friends, maybe it's with new friends and old friends, and you know what happens with wine is that you just get this elevation of euphoria, this expansion of creative expression. Uh, we just we just get happier, right? And in addition to that, we just get joyful, and the window of vulnerability just gets rolled down a little bit. And when we become more vulnerable, we're more emotionally accessible, and that accessibility allows us to bond with other people and to to create trust where trust might not otherwise that quickly be present. And most importantly, as I talked about earlier, most importantly, it generates love. Mm -hmm. And anytime we can find more love in our life and the expression of love, creative expression of love, this is really what we feed on. This is the, this is the staff of life is love. Yeah. And I know a lot of our listeners are moms and, um, and so for me, sometimes it's like the day is over. All of a sudden, we went from morning to evening, and we're and, and it's just been a whirlwind. It's been my husband and I passing our daughter back and forth, working full time from home, just nonstop. And then at the end of the day, we'll just open a bottle of wine, and it's not like we are drinking because we're stressed, but it is. It's just that it's we're 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 having a glass of wine, we're staring each other in the face, we are being. It, it forces us in a way to be present, and we already are so deeply in love, but it kind of just lets that love come to the surface in a way that is there's something very, uh, very magical about it. There is. And I look, here's the way I, I, I think about alcohol and, and, and wine. I, I I don't want people, people ought not to be drinking to, um, to check out, you know, like they're under so much stress that they drink to check out or escape that should be drinking these beautiful wines to tap in to tap into that energy. Yes. Natural wines have an energy about them because they haven't been sterilized. They've not been killed. You might notice some of the wines, let's just say, quote, taste wilder than others, right? Or they might even have a little effervescence to them from a little, have you noticed that from some of the wines? Oh yeah, those are my favorite. But that's energy <laughs> in the wine. That's yeah. because the wine is still alive. Oh. Hi friends, Laura here with some exciting news. Four Sigmatic has come on as a Modern Mamas podcast sponsor. We are so excited. If you've been following along with my Instagram stories, especially, you've seen that I use this stuff every single morning. The Lion's Mane Elixir is my absolute favorite. 
I add it to my Boosted Coffee for an extra boost of brain clarity, productivity, and focus that I genuinely did not experience until I started adding this in every day. They also make other elixirs like Rishi for calming, Cordyceps for an energy boost, and Chaga for an immune boost. Along with those elixirs, they also have really cool blends. I love the Lion's Mane and Coffee blend when I travel because I don't have to worry about getting my hands and lips on high quality coffee. I have it ready to go. All you need is hot water, you mix in the blend and you're set. They have caffeine, caffeine free options as well, like a chai latte and a turmeric latte for gut health and skin glow and all, they have all kinds of incredible blends. I cannot recommend enough that you go check out their website, find whatever mushroom blend is, is going to fit with your lifestyle, and give it a try. The awesome folks at Four Sigmatic have offered our listeners, you guys are special, you get 15% off any order. If you go to foursigmatic.com forward slash modern mamas, or simply type in modern mamas, all lowercase, all one word at checkout, you get 15% off. Check it out, see what fits your life, and happy shrooming. And see what's happening in a commercial wine. All commercial wines are dead, what we call the mummification and then the McDonaldization of wine. So we're going to kill it so that we make sure that it tastes the same way every time somebody drinks it, no matter where they buy it or how long it's been sitting on the store shelf. That's the McDonaldization, but we have to mummify. We have to kill the wine to get there. So that's the reason that natural wines have this life about them. They have soul. There's an energy in the wine because it hasn't been killed with it hasn't been killed with this sulfur dioxide. Right. So that's that was my phone. That's so, all right. Busy man. Anyway, <laughs> um, people want their wine. Anyway, they, they weren't calling <laughs> me for wine, but but uh, so so this this you know, we we sell living wines, yeah. and there also is Dr. David Perlmutter has done a number of uh, podcasts and also blog tests on our wines, as you know when you go to our website or. You also know we're endorsed by hundreds of doctors and celebrity authors and people who are health leaders and um, and podcasters and you know there are some seven or eight hundred in addition to thousands of integrative doctors across the country through integrative doctor networks that also recommend our wines to their patients as a safe alternative to drinking. The the, the number one thing a patient comes into. Uh, with a health problem and their doctor tells them they need to change their diet, there are two things they ask. Can I still drink coffee and can I still drink my wine? Right. Right. And so we've given doctors, a, you know, a, a safe alternative to to these commercial products that are, and we believe in many cases, contributing to people's um, illnesses. Yeah, we actually so, got a question. Someone said, is dry farm wine okay for someone who is trying to heal a thyroid or, or adrenal issue when they are told to avoid alcohol? So that kind of answers that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm not I'm not a thyroid expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can tell you that um, um, our wines are endorsed by thyroid experts yeah. like um, Isabel Wentz, who just wrote you know a book on thyroid health. Mm-hmm. She just uh, sent me her book, actually. <laughs> yeah, we're the official wine for all of her book openings so cool. and, and all of her activities. So. I'm not an expert on thyroid health, so I can't really comment on that, but she recommends our wines. So. Yeah, and I know one of the hugest things is, is just removing toxins from your life, um, uh, you know, external toxins, the ones that we ingest, and and that's exactly what this wine has done. It's taken those toxins, and and you're, you're seeking out wines that are free of from them, so I think that in itself is huge. 
Well, it's just a natural product. It's, right. it's, and, and, and look, you know, the, the, the very first thing that many people, uh, myself included, experience with, uh, with our wines is that they taste different than uh, commercial wines. And so mm-hmm. if you're a regular wine drinker, our wines are lighter, fresher, cleaner. They're not as heavy. They're not as bold. They're not as rich. Mm-hmm. Part of that is it's just lower in alcohol. And part of it is the, the winemaking styles. And so initially, and then as I mentioned, sometimes they're still, you know, they're, some are more alive than others. So sometimes they have a little post-bottle fermentation in it, uh, which is because the bacteria in the wine, the healthy gut bacteria, I was about to mention Dr. David Perlmutter, uh, talks a lot about the healthy probi- probiotic um, uh, gut biome that is in natural wines because these bacteria have not been killed or sterilized with sulfur dioxide. And so uh, just like all fermented products, right, they, they, they are very healthy to the gut. Right. And so our wines have this, uh, this, this quality that, that you, will not, you certainly will not find at all in a natural wine. And I'm concerned with two things, particularly aging. I'm, I'm older than you. I'm sure I'm, mm-hmm. in my, I'm in my late 50s, and I'm very concerned with, with both my brain and gut health. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the reasons I drink lower alcohol wines that are also naturally made and beneficial for, for my gut health. So, but this, you know, this taste difference is notable. And so what most people find, I don't know what your experience has been, but most people find, we hear this quite commonly, that, you know, once you start drinking real whole clean wines like we drink, then when you go back to drinking a commercial wine, you're not interested in it. Yeah. You can actually, it tastes heavier. You can begin to now taste the chemicals and additives because it doesn't taste real anymore. It tastes syrupy to me almost. It is very syrupy. Yeah. And, and this is another problem, a very, very common problem with commercial wines is that they have sugar in them. And you talked about giving sugar up earlier. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I've been ketogenic for just over four years. I also do a lot of I'm a fanatical biohacker. I, I'm on a 23-hour intermittent fast. I only eat once per day. Yeah. And, I was going to um, ask you more about that, so I'm glad you're mentioning it again. <laughs> yeah, so it's, so it's, it's um, you know, for me, it's an, I, cannot drink, I can't drink a commercial wine. It instantly gives me a headache. Oh, yeah, I feel terrible. And, uh, and they're, they're, you know, another thing, this is, this is so much myth in wines. You know, people will talk about the legs on, you know, the legs of a wine, what you see on a glass, mm-hmm. right? which you don't get legs from our wine. And the reason being is because they're sugar-free. So when you're seeing, when you're seeing legs on, on a glass of wine, that's not in any way a sign of its quality, although people talk about that, like, oh, it's got great legs. Look how long the legs are. Well, the legs are glycerol, <laughs> which is a sugar byproduct. I thought it was the level of alcohol is what you've No, 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 no. What, oh. it's, it's, it's sugar sticking to the glass and creating a long – you try it with our wines. You won't see them at all. No, yeah, I haven't. And, we always look for them. <laughs> right. But they're, they're, they're not present because, because, because this only comes from – it's a high sugar byproduct. And, and commercial wines want to have – they're looking for this long finish, Right. This long, rich, syrupy finish. Well, that's glycerol and can be sugar. Depends on what's in the wine, but um, but that's you know you don't you from with our wines you'll see that they're very sheer. 
mm-hmm. right? There's no big long finish. It just kind of poof. It's just gone, yeah. right? It's just more like water. Um, and most of what you're drinking in, in our wines is water. You know, it's about 91 or 2% water. Uh, We sell wines ranging from 6% alcohol, and we're in the process of having a winemaker in Europe make a 3% wine for us. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, But our lowest alcohol level is 6%, and we don't sell anything over 125 And most of the wines I drink are between 9 and 11%. Yeah, I found I really like like right around 11, between 11 and 12 is my favorite. 11 is a beautiful number. You're still getting enough... You're still getting enough density of alcohol that you're getting a real kind of wine experience. Because mm-hmm. once you get down to six, seven, eight, nine percent, it doesn't taste like wine anymore. Right. <clears throat> it tastes more like a kombucha. Yeah. All right. Um, I happen to like the taste. The six percent wine we had made by um, a young woman in Austria, uh, and it's actually what we call a botanical wine. We haven't released it yet. It's made with. Uh, it's ferment, fermented with grape must, but it's actually made from uh, edelberry flower tea. And she picks the edelberry flowers and then sun dries them and makes, and makes this very precise tea with it and then introduces that into a fermenting grape must wow. and makes a 6% sparkling botanical wine. And it's absolutely fascinating. We haven't, we were, she only made a thousand bottles this year. Dang. And to give you some. I would love to try. Some, uh, some reference point, we'll sell 1.5 million bottles this year at Dry Farm Wine. So a thousand bottles doesn't go very far. No. But, but she's going to make uh, she's going to make more for us next year. But we have you know we again natural wines are made in small quantities, so not much larger than a thousand bottles, but typically not more than typically not more than than uh, fifty thousand bottles a year typically. Uh, some some producers make as many as a hundred thousand bottles a year, and that's um, there are twelve bottles to a case. So Americans always talk about cases of wine. In Europe, it's always wines are measured by bottles. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, if you um, a thousand bottles is you know around a hundred cases or a little less than a hundred cases. So that's you know just just not much wine. Yeah. Uh, even if you make a hundred thousand bottles, it's still not much. You know, still so much care goes into each bottle. It's so cool. Right. And so you, you, you have to, and, and again, these are, these families are, you know, most of them are multi-generational landowners mm-hmm. tending old vines that were probably planted by their grandparents. Right. And the land has been handed down over generations and they've been organically farmed usually for many, many decades. Um, and you know, um, so monocultural farming you know, really started in the 1920s, mm-hmm. you know, when we really started to use herbicides and pesticides. I might mention that that Roundup or glyphosate is the number one applied herbicide in U.S. vineyards. So yeah. it's widely used uh, in industrial farming. And if it's not organic, you can be pretty certain that it's being used, right? And so in addition to if it's not organic, well, then you're certainly – certainly using many industrial farming practices, including, um, I- including the application of nitrogen as the, as the plant's fuel source. So let me talk about this, this. I know we're coming up here 
long no, time. No, keep but, going. It's fine. This is fascinating. <laughs> yeah, but let, me, let me talk about the, the, so the, the plant, the vine, right? The, the majesty that is the nature of the vine, right? That, so when natural winemakers, natural wine farmers, natural wine growers, right? They, they are super, super fanatical about living soils and biodiversity on the farm. So what happened when we left polycultural farming in the uh, early part of the, of the uh, 20th century and we kind of moved over to monocultural or this kind of singular, singular path of farming – uh, which is how most farms are operated in the world and how most of our food supply also comes to this kind of monocultural uh, application of farming practices. This is very different than polycultural or biodiverse farming. So on a natural farm, you will see bees and wild uh, animals and you will see uh, lots of insects and butterflies and um, uh, you'll see um, – uh, orchards and nuts, and so they there's there's this they want they want this very rich sense of biodiverse farming, right? Because this all adds to the health of health of the vine. It also adds substantially to the health of the soil. And so, living soils are teeming with organisms and insects and plant material. So when you go to you come up to Napa and you drive around, you'll see there's nothing growing beneath the, beneath the vines. It's all bare, right? Well, a natural farm doesn't look like that. A natural farm has the entire, the entire soil beneath the, beneath the vines are all covered in, in grasses and weeds and beans, and, and it's just green. It looks like a lush, lush lawn, Right, except it's longer. It's about six to twelve inches high, and it's it's all it's right up to the vines. It's in between the vines. It's just this rich green pasture. And the reason the natural farmer does that is because they want to attract insects. They want to attract life to the soil. And so when you put a shovel on the ground and turn over the soil, you'll see all kinds of living organisms in the soil because it's alive. Furthermore, most not all, but I'd say 98% of natural farmers never plow their soil, right? Because they don't want to turn that soil over and expose those organisms to the sun because they'll, they'll die, right? They want all of that life teeming beneath the surface because that's where all the magic happens. That's where all the nutrient and where all the life is for the vine to feed off of. Now, I tell you that because in a uh, and also because they don't irrigate, they must keep a mulch, what's called mulch layer, a, mulch, a layer of mulch on top of the soil all the time. That locks in moisture in the soil. And when you remove that mulch through plowing or, um, or any other method that leaves soil, the soil bare, you, you need to irrigate because the soil gets too dry and the moisture evaporates from the soil. So they lock the soil in through this through, uh, they also have herbs, and sometimes farmers put herbs in their rows uh, to attract butterflies and other, other healthy insects. But the reason I mention that is because in an irrigated grapevine that's receiving its food from nitrogen and its water from a little hose that's just above the trunk, and if you drive up and down California vineyards, you'll see virtually every vineyard has a black hose running down the center of it. And so that's how the wine, that's how the, the, the grape gets its food and water. 
consequently, the 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 root ball on an unirrigated the the root ball on an irrigated grapevine is about three feet, two to three feet in diameter and about three or four feet deep. That's a, that's the structure of the root because it gets all of its water and nutrient from the surface, right? Mm-hmm. A natural wine, a natural vine can have a root structure at maturity that might be 50 feet deep into the earth. And the reason that what's happening is that they have these hair-like capillaries, right, that are just struggling and searching throughout the, throughout the earth looking for mineral, and which is their nutrient, and also water, you know, to survive. And that struggle, along with the struggle against its neighbor, is what creates this complexity in fruit. So cool. Also, the other thing you might note, if you because you're, you're not a taste professional, but the other thing you might note when you drink our wines, and you'll certainly, is that you can taste the minerality, the earth in them. It's much more present than in a commercial wine. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's because the, that's because the vine is actually getting its nutrient from minerals, mm-hmm. right? That's the, that's the primary source of of, of nutrient. Uh, particularly for an older vine with deeper roots, because you don't really have you've got as the roots get deeper, you're really you're really it's really more stone and 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 more rock formation than it is you know below the topsoil level. Mm-hmm. So it's a different type of nutrient. It's so fascinating. Yeah. Who knew? It's funny. I never, I'd never been so into wine until lately. And now my husband and I like watch shows on, um, on wine and I just, I find it fascinating and I, and there's so much that comes with it in terms of like how they're grown and I'm so into food. And for me, drinking wine just elevates that experience. It takes it to a whole new level. And I just, as you mentioned before, like there's the magic in that. Um, we do have two more questions that I'd love to touch on if you have time. The first, I'm not sure. Um, it's, it's one of those ones that's kind of pretty controversial and, and, you might not even have any comment on it. I have a, just a few ideas, but the, the main one is just like nursing and drinking. Can I have wine and then breastfeed my child? <laughs> do you have thoughts on that? I do not. Uh, I'm not an expert in breastfeeding. Right. Uh, I can tell you uh, we have um, one of our uh, partners is um, just delivered a baby boy about a, uh, four or five months ago, she's out on maternity. Uh, and I do know she did not drink much at all. I don't think she really drank at all during her pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have seen her, she's, she's actively breastfeeding. I have seen her and she's super, super health fanatic biohacker, you know, follows, um, all the, she probably follows your your podcast and work. I mean, she's super into. I think we'd be uh, friends, she and I. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's just super super tapped in uh, spiritually as well as mm-hmm. holistically. I mean, she you know, I mean, she she birthed at home. I mean, the whole bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, I do know she is drinking uh, because she's been she's come to a few social events with us. Um, and I do know she's, I have seen her drink just very, very moderate amounts of wine. Yeah. That's not an endorsement for drinking and breastfeeding. Right, right, right. It's a wizard question. (laughs) I'm sure that she, um, could tell you more about it than I could, 
But and I'm I'm actively nursing. I've been nursing my daughter for 13 months now, and I um, have been drinking moderate amounts of wine the entire time, focusing on quality. Um, and from the research I've done, kind of what it comes down to is the more alcohol consumed, the more cautious you need to be or you need to refrain. But um, what's beautiful about the dry farm wines, first and foremost, if we're just talking about alcohol levels, is they're a much more appropriate amount where you can have a glass and feel great. Um and then also the quality. Like I'm so cognizant of the what's in the food that I eat because everything I put in my body goes into her, even just exactly. nutrients, right? So exactly. we're avoiding all these toxins. We're avoiding all the those additives and everything that I would never eat in my food. And so I feel so good about having a glass, sharing a bottle. Um, basically, the general rule as of late from the research I've seen most recently is that if you feel fine, to if you feel like you can drive, if you can drive safely, you can nurse safely is kind of what I've seen to be the rule or the, the norm, especially, uh, you know. So again, I can't say either I'm not a doctor. This is just what my personal experience is. Um, I feel very confident sharing a bottle of dry farm and still nursing my daughter. Uh, in the same evening, you know, so I guess that's about as much as I can say on it. Cause it's, and I think the biggest thing is it's every mom's, um, personal opinion or, or decision, because as you mentioned, the first and foremost, most important part about sharing a bottle of wine is the love. And so if you're drinking it and then feeling guilt, probably not great, but if you drink it and you feel open and happy and excited about your journey as a mother and all of that, then I would say that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. But again, far be it from me. Right. <laughs> uh, some some dude uh, to counsel about uh, breastfeeding, but or to counsel like, a woman about much of anything one? about being a woman. It's right. like, like I, I'm always stunned at how piggish, mm. uh, you know, particularly, you know, these the politicians can be in their assessments over women's health. I'm like, oh are you kidding gosh. me? It makes me crazy. I appreciate that in that respect. Uh, but I also, it's it's good to hear you know you share. What is your experience is knowing a mom and her experience, and I think I'd love to connect with her. Maybe we can have her on the podcast. Uh, down yeah, the road. She, I, listen, she'd be a great guest. She's yeah, super, Anthony mentioned super, super her. Dialed into, uh, yeah, she's on. Uh, she's fortunately enjoying our unlimited maternity program. So oh, yeah. I have no idea when she's coming back to work. But, <laughs> That's awesome. I want to come work uh, for you guys too. Uh, well, yeah. uh, you know, we we we. She's the first. Uh, she was the first uh, pregnancy that we had, and it was kind of like, well, you know, what's our policy on this? And just basically, you know, thought about um, the, the way we like to think about everything, which is like from the heart and filled with love. And it's like, hey, I mean, it's like, you know, we can afford to support you as long as you want to stay out. So that's incredible. Um, so that's just kind of the policy we came up with. Yeah, but um, it should be. And the crazy thing is, I mean, she wants to come back to work now. Right. You know, she's like, we get emails from her, you know, I just got a long email from her yesterday about how much she misses not being, being with us. But, you know, she's so grateful to have this time with her son. Yeah. So uh, what That's was the second cool. question? The final one is, and um, we kind of touched on this, but what kinds of questions can, can folks ask? Let's say that you're out and you've sought out, you're trying to find the best choice to order a glass of wine at a restaurant. Do you have any specific things that you look for? I know personally, I always say, what is your, if I'm wanting a white, I'll say, what is your driest white? I always look to see where it's from. I, I assume potentially incorrectly that like Spanish, Austrian, I love going for like a Gruner, if I'm saying that right. Um, yeah. And so I always ask, what's the driest? And then I'll, I'll taste a little bit and see what I think. And then I'll, I'll pick the one that to me resembles the, the closest to what I found in my boxes of dry farm. So do you have any other tips or advice on types of things to ask? 
Well, I mean, it even presents a problem for us mm-hmm. uh, because sometimes we travel in markets where corkage is not allowed. In California, you can basically – it's legal and it's pretty widely accepted to – take your own bottle of wine in with you and mm-hmm. corkage generally ranges from you know 10 to 25 dollars so okay. for me that's just the easy solution uh is that i just take my own wine with me certainly anywhere in california i do travel to states where it's not legal uh, or not permitted by the restaurant it's not customary to bring wines in and so we have the same struggle that everybody else does in this case a few tips are um, uh, Europe, so mm-hmm. buy European wines, you're going to get generally a lighter, um, you're just going to get generally uh, a, a cleaner wine. There are 56 additives approved in the EU, 76 in the U.S. So this is, the additives are not only a, not only an American problem, mm-hmm. it's just more exaggerated here. Uh, but uh, there are certain regions or grapes that will tend to be tend to be, um, you know, cleaner, healthier. Austria is a good example. Gruner is a good example. Uh, it'd be very rare you find a Gruner, an Austrian Gruner, on a wine list in most places. But if you were in that kind of a place, that would certainly be a great we have, choice. We have a place. I live in Santa Cruz, and there's a little wine bar, and they have an, an Austrian Gruner. And the guy, the, the the guy that works there most often, he knows me now, and he doesn't even ask what I want because he knows that I'm every single time I'm going to order it, and it's so good and so dry. If you're, you know, if you're in a small wine bar where there's knowledgeable people there and they're, you know, there's a hipster element, they may have natural wines. They may even know something about natural Mm -hmm. wines. But if you're in a standard restaurant, they're just not going to know anything about natural wines. It's just such a tiny, tiny segment, tiny, right? It's it's only known by a few hipsters, maybe a wine bar. Right. Um, um, But restaurants, uh, Gamay is a very easy choice. That's the grape that's produced in Beaujolais. Mm-hmm. Um, Say that one again. What is it? Gamay. Oh, okay. G-A-M-A-Y. Yeah. So Gamay is a, you know, is, is always a dependable choice. So anything from the Loire, Jura, Beaujolais in France, these are all good places to look. Much of Spain is, is just, is, is, is the winemaking styles are higher in alcohol. Mm-hmm. We don't sell a lot. I don't drink a lot of Spanish wines. Yeah, I maybe get uh, one in a box every, like every other box or something. Right. Portugal, um, some wines, Chile, some wines, South yeah. Africa, some wines. But again, these are not places that you would normally see. Right. Normally you're going to see if there's any foreign wines at all. You know, if you live in California, many of the wine lists are California based, but, but, uh, if you do see European wines, the most likely places that you're going to find cleaner, natural, lower alcohol is going to be France, mm-hmm. Italy, uh, Germany, and Austria. Okay. And I, my, my recommendation would be to sign up for Dry Farm. And then what I love is you guys have the option of like you can get a box every month, two months, three months, et cetera. So you can I, – I feel that I've learned more than I ever thought possible about wine just by drinking the wines that you guys send because then I learn what I don't, what I do like. So I can ask at a restaurant, hey, can I taste these two wines? And then based on how my palate's developing, I know which one just by tasting it is That's a great idea. Closer. And if, it's, if you're buying it by the bottle, I'd – I always ask to see the bottle, and yes. sometimes I ask to see three, four, or five, or six until I find something I think mm-hmm. is going to work for me. 
both from the alcohol level. I also asked the wine director, do you have anything at 12.5% or below, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they may or may not even know because it's not anything they pay any attention to, right? But uh, yeah, but for your listeners, speaking of getting a box of wine, and I love this I love this, this name, Radical Roots, because mm-hmm. it makes me think about the unirrigated grapevine yeah. and its radical Goosebumps. root structure. Yeah. But anyway, we have, a, we have a special offer for your listeners. It's oh, wow. a one-penny bottle of wine with their order, and they can find that offer at dryfarmwines.com forward slash Radical Roots. That's dryfarmwineswithans.com forward slash Radical Roots to uh, to enjoy a penny bottle from you and I. You are the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. And before we leave, I have to ask one question. What is your current favorite biohack? <sighs> Maybe that was too loaded. Yeah, I, I just can't can't leave that one with just one. But I know. I, here, here's the answer. Uh, I would say that uh, meditation yeah. is the single most important biohack ever invented in mm-hmm. history, yep. and uh, the one I'm enjoying the most. I've been meditating for for daily for four years and. Uh, I recently, or not recently, it's been two years ago now, I changed my fasting schedule. Mm-hmm. And I would say that was the single uh, the single biggest change to my wellness or, or my feeling of health was going to a longer extended daily fast. So I do 23-hour intermittent fasting, meaning I only eat once per day. Mm-hmm. Before that, I was on the Lean Gains 16-8 uh, protocol, which is two meals a day in an eight-hour window with a 16 to 18-hour fast in between the dinner meal and the first meal of the day. But when I went to – and fasting doesn't work for everybody. I'm also right. ketogenic and sugar-free. So I'd yeah. say, yeah, give up sugar. If yeah. The number one diet recommendation, give up sugar. Uh, number two, give up processed foods. Mm-hmm. Number three, you know, watch it on the gluten and any kind of refined grains. Um, and uh, – and give your body a rest. We eat too much and too often, mm-hmm. you know, so try intermittent fasting, but meditation by far, number one. I love it. That's so great. Thank you so much. And where can people find you or more about well, Dry Farm Wine? Wine. On social, all social media, we are Dry Farm Wines. And anybody wants to write me, it's Todd, T-O-D-D, at dryfarmwines.com. And you guys, the, the people behind this company are just incredible humans. Every time I've reached out, um, they know me, like they know me by name. I just I feel like I'm a part of the family, and it's just been such a treat. So thank you for coming on today and giving us your time and your insight and your wisdom. I'm going to – it's what time is it? 3 o'clock. I'm probably – maybe wait another hour, but I'm about to open a bottle. I just got a shipment, so I'm pretty excited. <laughs> Awesome. awesome. Yeah, we're actually getting together with some good friends that um, I've known since high school to share some wine and eat some cheese and, and enjoy each other's company. And I cannot wait. Awesome. Thanks for having all me right. on today. And, uh, Anytime. I wish much abundance and love to all who listen. Thank you so much. Take care. Enjoy your week. Thanks. Bye, Todd. I don't know what to say. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time. Thanks for listening to our podcast. See you next time.